0: Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that.
1: Would Tramie be fighting it as hard if they were 15th in the league? Not for me, Clive. You know, you've got Sunderland, Portsmouth,
0: and Ipswich in our league now, in League One. They're massive clubs. Not for me,
2: Clive. Because it will come back around, there will be something that will benefit other people as well. Not for me, Clive
0: friday friday gotta get down on friday welcome to not for me clive a man marking production ladies and gentlemen i've got danny reed and ryan pulford with me how are we fellas
2: yes superb that introduction and has got me pumped for this episode of not for me clive pumped feeling it buzzing mad for it ryan how we going
1: um, yeah, I mean, as Danny said, with, with that introduction, you can be nothing but excited, can you? That was, that was quite something. It took me a while to think of that introduction,
0: um, but we've got our, our topic today, how much football is too much football, so we've got to get ourselves up for this. Um, we'll open the floor. Danny, how how much football is too much football?
2: Well, when I was doing a bit of research for this, I stumbled across a, uh, a quote, which one that I thought you would enjoy. And so it's probably one you've read before, but it wasn't one I'd come across before. It was from the famous Brian Clough, where he said, "You don't want roast beef and Yorkshire pudding every night and twice on Sunday," when referring to how much football is too much football. So that was the first thing I came across. I'm sure that was something you there uh, you'd enjoy. You love a bit of Clough, don't you?
0: Oh, what a guy! Um, as a Northerner, I think he can speak from experience there as well, Carney. You know. Can't have too much roast beef or Yorkshire pudding. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, I'd agree with him. I'm also um, very acutely reminded of the Mitchell and Webb sketch, which I think is takes place at QPR's Loftus Road, where David Mitchell is screaming, there's the football. Don't miss it. You're going to miss it. It's more football. You can watch all of the football. Football Wait, impossible to keep track of all the football but your best chance is here thousands and thousands of hours of football each more climactic than the last constant dizzying 24-hour year-long endless football every kick of it massively mattering to someone presumably watch it all all here all the time forever it will never stop the football
1: is officially going on forever it will never be finally decided who has won the football
2: he so does a lot of that and um, that was what that was one of the first things that came to my mind because we can often be very overwhelmed by the football. Um, I think in terms of, for us then, how much football is too much football, I suppose it goes back to a word that Ryan's used a few times in terms of saturation points. We've obviously, since the Premier League's come back, there's been football on basically every single day, numerous times a day on various different channels. And one of the big things that, that... the introduction of football on television in the way that we see it nowadays is the effect that it has on attendances. So,
0: doing well, a bit of research no one there right now, is
2: there? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, very true, very true. But I was doing a bit of research, and there was a study that was done by a couple of fellows, couple of chaps, one from the University of Liverpool and one from Lancaster University, and they did a, a they took a load of data from. 27,000 football league matches between the year 2000 and the year 2018 and there was quite a clear pattern that attendances fell across all of the lower leagues on midweek games for example when champions league games were on the television and apparently since BT bought the rights to the premier league so they took some of the rights off sky attendances in league 2 are 16% lower League One, 10 to 15% lower, and the Championship's 2 to 4% lower. So I think there's quite an obvious gap in terms of the effect that having football on television has on the way that people kind of experience football, which I know was something that you wanted to discuss, Ryan.
1: Yeah, it's a funny one, really, because as you say, if you look at overall attendances, I think the Championship's now the third or fourth most attended division in Europe which is quite a feat, really, and it probably links back into the whole Premier League, Two in which it's becoming. I think if you watch old footage of of the Premier League from the early 90s, there's actually quite a lot of empty seats. And I think attendances are actually on the rise. But as you say, it's easy to to look at the games on the telly, always being a sellout. Can I just clarify
2: there, Ryan? Sorry, mate. What I should have clarified with those figures is is that they were weighted against what the expected attendance would be. So, what the expected attendance should be for that match at that time of year, given for growth inflation and that sort of thing, it was percentages lower than what it should have been, rather well, than actual statistics, if you see what I mean.
1: To be fair, what what I was sort of going to say is, I think the, the increase is certainly around the Premier League and, and the Championship. And, and as you say, Sometimes figures can be probably skewed in the Level League if a Sunderland or a Leeds drop into like League One and it inflates it for a year or two. But on the whole, I think you're right. There's a lot of people who would go to Tramia or would go to the local club here and there. But if there was a Champions League game on the telly and they had to pick between the two, they'd rather be in the comfort of their own home. And I think a part of this problem is football's not as affordable as it once was because teams now are so competitive in terms of money. When I started going to Tramia, and we're not talking 40 years ago, you're talking 20, it was about three quid to get in. Now, if anybody rocks up to Tramia, sometimes I get people say to me, oh, how much is it to, to go in? I might come this weekend and go, that's 20 quid. And you go, 20 quid for Division 3, Division 4. Um, but it needs to be that price because we don't really have the sponsorship and other things to keep up in other areas if you're a lower league fan. So I think if you're a sort of fair weather fan, as to sometimes describe, it's an expensive side hobby to have if you're not fully invested, if you're not a season ticket holder. And as you say, with so much tele- football on the telly, someone might say, well, you can come and watch us nil-nil in November in League 2. Hmm. After 40 quid, the time you've had a pint and a burger and stuff. Or you can watch Barcelona versus Man City on BT, which you probably pay 80 quid a month for anyway, so you might as well watch it. So,
2: it's difficult, really, from that regard. You know what I think is quite interesting, though, when you're I think there's this, probably this perception then that TV viewing figures for football are really high. Uh, that I, w- I would always assume that would be the perception. Because obviously there was some stuff in the news, wasn't there, this, this week about uh, Southampton Man City became the most viewed Premier League game that had been on television at 5.7 million. Was that on the BBC? It was, mate, yeah. Yeah, so that was 5.7 million. Before that, the highest TV audience for a Premier League game was United versus City in 2012, which topped out at about 4 million. Now, they are quite big figures for for television viewing figures. But comparatively, so, for example, Coronation Street, which I think is on on a Monday, a Wednesday, a Friday, and a Sunday. I think that's right. They used to have think- two episodes on a Monday. I don't know, I haven't watched it for a while. Um, But they average somewhere between five and nine million per episode. And they're on like four or five times a week. So I think once you start to compare it like that, I think you start to see. And we mentioned it in one of the first episodes we did of this, where we were talking about football coming back. It kind of goes back to that thing of the way that people are enjoying football, the way that people are digesting it. So, And we'll move on to kind of social media later, but... A lot of it comes down to things like digestible content, snackable content. So TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, those things, Twitter, little videos. I think we've seen the same sort of problems for cinemas and theatres. People's attention spans are generally getting shorter. So the mm-hmm. way that people are enjoying the content is changing. And BT Sports are big on that, aren't they? You see the loads of clips that they put up of their sort of stuff on on Twitter from the matches they're showing.
1: What I would say on that though, Dan, is um, while I think you're right and you can certainly map out trends,
2: nobody really goes
1: to the pub to watch Corrie or nobody illegally streams Corrie. So what you'll probably find is... you haven't been at
2: my house on a Wednesday night.
1: (laughs) A, the figures are probably well under. There's probably a huge inflation when you add illegal viewing and people in large gatherings, so households... Uh, people go around to the mate or so even just a pub that could have two hundred covers for it, or watching it on a Sunday or something. And also probably the international aspect as well. So it's easy for us to, vo- uh, fig- sorry, it's easy for us to focus on UK viewing figures. But I think where the Premier League captures itself is the global market and the viewing figures in Asia and America that are, that are growing and. Quite interesting, really. I saw something on Twitter today which kind of summed it up for me massively. It was an Arsenal fan. And he was quoting on a post that Arsenal had done. So I don't know if any of you remember this, but in pre-season, Arsenal went to America and a young there was a girl and she, she supported Arsenal all her life somehow from wherever she was from. And she cried because it was the first time she got to see them in the flesh. And... Um, a
2: lot
1: Lacazette. of Arsenal fans do that, don't they? <laughs> Lacazette saw the video online, and in the end, Arsenal have like flown her to the UK, she's seen a training camp, done all these things that the clubs paid for. And then some fella tweeted it today saying I spent a thousand pounds going to Azerbaijan to watch us in the Europa League. We got beat four one and I didn't even get a thank you. And it, it stems back to this do clubs really want to reward those loyal fans who are always going to turn up and pay the money? Or as you said, is it this TikTok, Instagram-abund story that looks really good that's going to get hundreds on thousands of likes? But in reality, you're not looking after your actual fan base. You're looking after your sort of corporate entities in different countries because you want them to carry on watching and paying for it. It's a real weird way, and I was reading an article and it summed it up nicely that at the start of sort of the television era, the fans were the most important thing. And now we just participate in what is essentially a TV show.
2: Yeah. It's marketable, isn't it? It's very marketable, that story of taking someone from America and bringing them over and doing all that. Because you'd also capture all of your American audience as well, don't they? I think it's it's it goes back to a lot of the stuff that we spoke about with Dan Parnell, where football clubs nowadays, particularly at the top level, are being removed more from their communities. Which, in a way, which is quite an interesting comparison with the way that lower league clubs have to survive because they have to invest in their local communities and they have to capture their fans that are within one, two, three, four, five miles because they haven't got an international audience or a national audience in the same way. So their focus is entirely different. And I suppose the more the clubs at the top end pull away from that, it kind of creates a bit of an odd sort of dichotomy in the way the football clubs approach their supporters.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's all circled around revenue and it's hard to really... It's a weird one because fans' expectations drive the need for extended revenue. But the more you go down the revenue route, the more the fans become removed from the club. So one sort of drives the other indirectly. If at the moment now, one bad season for a top six club. We look at yeah. Arsenal now, and, and we've spoke about them before. Um, the fans just... They're going to want to go and spend £60 million on a centre-half in, in, in the summer or the autumn, in the weird way, whenever the transfer window is. So without that need to have a global presence and and, and be a corporately minded company, you can't go and get that centre-half. So where do you draw the line? Like I think there's got to be an element of sympathy for those running the clubs. But if you look at Germany and how well they seem to appreciate the fans and how this it's all circled around them, and it can be done, so I don't think they can hide behind that. I, I do think there's there's got to be a, a breaking point where the league and the clubs and the owners come together and they start to say, well. These are the prices. you think he did it for away games, didn't he? Was it £30 is the maximum you can charge an away game?
2: Yeah, movement um, was not the 20s plenty. And the, the 20s
1: 20, plenty, plenty, yeah. Them,
2: didn't they? Um, So I think that would be the first move. The
1: second move is not moving games last minute for TV purposes because I just don't think it's fair on fans at all. There was a case at the end of last season where I think three games were moved um, within two weeks' notice. Now, for anyone who does away games at any level... If you're not travelling there by official coach, then a lot of football fans up and down the country will get the train. And to get the best train prices, you're best off in a non refundable ticket six weeks early. Now, it may not seem like a big deal, but it could be 70 quid to go from the north to the south or, or vice versa. And if, if you all of a sudden get told two weeks before, we're moving kickoff, so the 70 pound train ticket you've spent no longer gets you to the game at the right time and you can't get your money back it's i mean 70 pounds when you're paying how much for a match ticket and a day out already it's a lot of money to an ordinary working day man or woman or if you're taking your family and you've, you've bought it for a few people so you know what though <laughs> right
2: the problem i think with that is is that clubs at the top level they know or they certainly are at the moment are aware that if you know joe blogs who can't afford to then go his ticket will get taken up by somebody else because they have such a big global audience and then Joe blogs will just go home and watch it on the telly and then make sure so they get that viewing figure almost do you know what I mean
1: no I do and I, I, I don't yeah I do it's, it's it's one of them though isn't it where you can see why it leaves uh, a sour taste in, in some people's mouths where they you wouldn't get that in any other in, in any other sort of walk of life would you you wouldn't go and book something and then all of a sudden two weeks before it gets moved for reasons out of your hand, but you have to still suffer to the cost. So it's it's a difficult one, really, but I can see why this disgruntled nature's growing amongst fans who like to go to games and equally why it's becoming a lot more popular to just watch it on the box, because
2: you almost start to think to yourself, why do I bother? Do you think, Ant, then, to just to, to, to kind of bring you into it then, would do you think the fact that there's been a lot of talk around you know, football without fans is nothing and, and, and all that sort of, And we've seen a lot of football on the telly without supporters and it is a different experience. Do you think people having lived through that might make the whole atmosphere around, it change the attitude towards it? Or do you think once it goes back to normal, it'll just carry on? I think it'll just carry on myself.
0: Um, I don't really think anyone appreciates what the English game really is and what we've got, like, there's not the same amount of appreciation for fans here as there is in other countries um I'm looking at places like Argentina and and, and other areas in South America and uh, you know it, there's a lot more appreciation for the fans there um I think with certainly with the top level uh, in England we've we've got a situation where football fans are pretty much subjected to having to follow whatever those clubs say in terms of pricing and and when they play and where they play um if they want to go and see their team um i think it's pretty tough that the tv side of it kind of works for the for the fans like Ryan said who can't really afford it or can't really Commit to going so much, you know, it, it, it can be difficult. We all have different situations where, you know, you might not be able to get out of the house on a Saturday or Sunday or a, or a Friday or a Monday, um, which is probably the strangest way I've ever said them days together. <laughs> um, <laughs> like an
2: inverse Craig David.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it can be really difficult. But what the TV has done recently is, particularly with it being free to air, has is, is allowed. Certainly myself as to allow yourself to watch a lot more football, to, to see a lot more football. Um, I think once you're having to pay different subscriptions, you know, you've got your Sky T V for the Premier League and you've got BT, which, you know, it it, it can add up, it can make a, a bit of a difference, and particularly at times now when, you know, there are job losses, you know, skyrocketing. Um, it can be really difficult you know I think I said to you the other day I don't think I've watched the Champions League game for a, for a year since the final last year so um, but that's just that's my personal personal choice um just because I don't really want to spend the spend the money on, on two different platforms but I think the the free to air stuff uh, and we saw it with a little bit with cricket um as well when the, they won the ashes in 2005 and then it immediately went to Sky TV. Um, but they still have a highlights package on a on, a, on a terrestrial telly and I think that helps. But I think the free TV at the moment really helps that Southampton Man City game the other day, like you said, watched by a lot of people. That's going to help um, and it's going to get more people involved and, and certainly appreciate it more. I don't think it would change anything when it goes back. I'd like to see a little bit more football on terrestrial telly. I, I don't see why it's a, an issue for them to to put the odd match a month on on free-to-air TV. I think BT tried to do that with the Champions League a little bit, um, however complicated it might be. I think the final is free-to-air for everyone, although I think we had to watch it via YouTube. So, mm-hmm. um, in, in all honesty, I, I think this has been quite good. For, for there'll be people out there who don't get to see a, a lot of football. Um, it's kind of like a, a World Cup at the moment. You've got a, a, a ton of games. Um, the only problem is is that there's no fans there, so there's not it's a little bit like friendly atmosphere. Uh, but the other night was was a really good example of two good teams going at it and, and playing good football and you know, the juxtapositions of defending versus just all out attack really for Man City for for most of that game. So um I I, I think I don't I don't see it changing. Um, but we mentioned, you know, the exhaustion and and, and having to watch football on a twenty four seven loop. Basically, you know, it's thrown in thrown in your face. You can't really get away from it. It's kind of a bit of a monster. How have you found having so much football? Have you managed to watch a lot? Have you managed to to take any of it in? I think during the for myself during the um, during the time off, I, I got a bit bored of uh, of watching Sky Sports News and seeing. Uh, their programming hark back to yesteryear of Premier League years, and um, so I found it quite nice. I, I think it's not really exhausted or bored by it yet, but I'm wondering if that's a, a similar theme throughout, certainly
2: here and maybe the wider, the wider population. Um, I've watched, I, I've watched a little bit of it. I don't have Sky, so I've got BT, so I watch some of the stuff that's on BT and some of the the, the free games, which I actually only discovered this weekend. On on freeview or on pick, which uh which was fantastic. But yeah, I've watched I've watched some of it. I think a lot of it with football, particularly, especially with as you say, with a lot of it being on TV and there's a lot of it all at once and and it's very all the time, constantly moving. I think there's a lot of FOMO with football. Uh, for those who don't know, the popular acronym FOMO, fear of missing out, um. Which I think is a, is a big thing with football fans. It's almost like if you're not involved in everything, then you're not a proper fan, and you're not you 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 know what I mean. You're not really in on it, and because everything moves so fast, you, particularly at the moments, you can kind of be like, you know, you sitting there, you are going, "Oh, Arsenal won last time, didn't he? No, no, they got, they got battered the other day. they played again? Did they? And it's just quite constant all the time, and and that's kind of amplified at the moments, but it's generally like that a lot, um. One thing that I did want to touch on, which kind of links back to that that thing I was saying about FOMO, was I think, because what I was saying before about football almost being digested in a different way, so because of the way that, that, that social media works and the way that the football and social media are obviously, you know, football are big enterprises, big companies with with, with big reaches and stuff, so social media platforms are rife for for their content, so... A lot of the way that people enjoy football nowadays, like we were saying before, about people who have like Instagram pages and TikTok channels and all the rest of it, a lot of football is now enjoyed in a different way on social media. Do you want to do something quite interesting? So I, I, I've got a little uh, a little a little mini mini quiz here. So do you remember when Germany beat Brazil seven one in the in that semifinal? Yeah. Okay. Guess how many tweets were sent about that game. During that match?
1: Due to the size of Brazil and Germany, I'll go like 25, 30 mil. I'll
0: go, I'll go 20 million. I can't see it being too much higher.
2: So it was 36.5 million tweets. And I'll I tell you what, what's another quite interesting thing as well. So that Barcelona PSG game, do you remember when Barcelona made that comeback? So yeah. in the one minute after the final whistle, there were 187,000 tweets made about that game. And so, that's probably just the ones that have been able to be picked up by hashtags and stuff in it well exactly yeah it. it's quite a difficult thing to measure so it kind of gives it an idea of the sort of reach the football has on social media and how much it's it's used so and when i was doing some research for this for this episode today and obviously when we're talking about anything that we do it's all linking back to mental health and with the the question of how much football is too much football Because you've got that idea of FOMO, which is both a big factor in the football world and sport world in general, and it's also a big thing on social media as well. It's almost like you have to almost, because everything changes so quickly, you have to be involved all the time, and that's almost how they're designed, on to keep people constantly on it. So we've spoken before about the kind of links between social media and mental health. Some statistics that I was reading, 91% of 16 to 24-year-olds use social media and over the past 25 years in this country, anxiety and depression reports in young people have risen by 70%. And between that, you can kind of see there's obviously a lot of growing evidence that there's big links between social media and depression, anxiety, and those sorts of things, which is a link to obviously a whole host of different sort of self-esteem issues. And one of the big things is lack of sleep because you're always on your phone, uh, especially late at night, which is obviously not recommended. So I was reading this article, right? You'll like this. I was doing a bit of reading today. It's an article by Fulhamish, which I'm sure you can guess is a Fulham-based um, website. And it was called How Twitter Changed Football. We'll put a link to it on on social media. And it was talking about how Twitter has sort of created like a new fan culture. And you see it kind of play out in like the meltdown. So people talk don't they a lot about the Arsenal meltdown or the Tramia meltdown and that sort of thing. He puts it down, so the guy who wrote this article puts it down to this thing called groupthink. Have either of you ever heard of the term groupthink before?
0: No, never. never. <laughs> no, I don't think
2: I have, mate, no. So, groupthink is a term that was coined by George Orwell in his famous book, 1984, which for any of you keen readers out there, um, and basically, essentially what social media does for you, which is why people like it, is that you create like a bubble where everyone has the same opinion as you, where everyone agrees with you. And that's what your Twitter feed is because you're gonna naturally be inclined to follow people that you share views with or that you like or that you respect and not follow people who you don't. So that creates for you like a sense of, oh, everyone thinks like me, which is why when people disagree with you online, you see these kind of quite aggressive, quite quickly building back and forths because, It's unreliable to think that everybody agrees with you, but it kind of lulls you into that sort of false sense of security with it. And nowadays, generally a lot of football fans, they don't tend to watch the game and then draw an opinion on the game. They conform to the group thing, and that's where they get their opinion from. So rather than just watching it, having an opinion, and then saying that's what your opinion is, you watch it whilst watching what's happening on Twitter, which is why when something picks up, it's very hard to stop. So that's why like every result and everything that happens in football is massively amplified because Twitter sort of amplifies that and then amplifies that tribalism. So if you start to think about, you've got lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of young people that are on social media and lots and lots and lots of young people on social media engaging in football talk and then engaged in all this group think and this tribalism, this back and forth. And then you've also got lots of young people who are talking about problems with anxiety, depression, self esteem. You can see where those two big links can come from. And then if you sort of start to think we've got loads and loads of football and there's more and more football all the time and all these different sorts of governing bodies, so UEFA FIFA, so UEFA expand, expanded the Euros, FIFA want to expand the World Cup, um, UEFA want to make the Champions League into this sort of slightly different tournament, they want to have a club World Cup we just have more and more and more and more of it all the time, forcing people more and more into that FOMO cycle of just never being able to get off the wheel. And we've all spoken about it to each other and on the podcast before about sometimes needing to get off your phone, needing to get off social media. And it becomes harder and harder and harder, the more there is that people feel as though they're missing out on. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that. That's a very good point you've made there, Dan. Um... And it's, it, it shows you how, how easy it is to link back to to mental health. I think I probably... I think 80% of my tweets are probably football-related. Same. And as you've said, if I tweet about Tramium, just put maybe SWA or JFC as the hashtag, I'll get so many more likes and interactions with that tweet than if I just tweeted something random about something I thought, which would probably just go unnoticed. And as you say, it's because you build up that circle and network of people that... They don't all agree with what you say, but they all have at least similar interests. Um, So I think that's quite important when people link social media to mental health and via football, of how it actually works. I think you've explained that very well. Um, What I would also say, another problem that I found, I do actually think that the Premier League have done the right thing, showing as many games as possible. I think during this time, it, while I haven't watched and consumed lots of it, I think there will be people out there probably watching nearly every game. And because there hasn't been much to do, it's probably been a good decision by them to do it. One of my other concerns, though, is around the gambling aspect of that. Because, because there's games to bet on literally every single day. I mean, I found myself throwing fivers on both teams to scores and stuff like that like, almost every night to the point where I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Because it's not... Just uh, normally, and we bet on a Saturday. Maybe if there's a midweek game, once or twice. But now it's a case of if you spend a fiver a night, <laughs> to the se- from when the season resumes to when it ends, spend like 150 quid a month if you carry yeah. on in that vein. So it doom becomes dangerous from that regard as well. Um, I don't want to just move on from your point about social media. Though I was wondering well, the two Anthony, word, if you've two got, got is- any
2: thoughts on that. The two are intrinsically linked, aren't they, right as well?
1: Yeah, especially as now everything's on telly. And you, every advert, betting-related, every every team in the Premier League will have some form of betting sponsor or something in the ground that links back to betting, and, and it is unhealthy. Um, that's coincided with horse racing as well. Um, that's come back at a similar time. And I know we had, didn't we, and was it Ascot we had recently? Or we had one of the festivals recently, so you've had that going on, and football going on. People would probably didn't have the ability to spend money on going out or going to pictures or going for a meal. Could you see how easily it would be to take that forty pounds you would spend on an Ando's ant and throw it on a Lucky Fifteen or something? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was something we discussed with um, with Mark Paleos and, and and Nicola Paleos, and it was it was something that was a worry throughout the uh, the lockdown. Uh, I think the gambling companies actually took their adverts off uh, during that time, um, and I think they may have uh, kept them off around the football matches that are shown live, but that might not be the case um, uh, right now, if it's come back, I'm not too sure. Um, it's very easy to to get into gambling, it's not not the hardest thing in the world, it's fairly easy to understand you put your money down you save it wins and you get a little bit more back than you put down originally they it's very enticing and i think a big factor of that is is boredom um football has a a new and weird relationship with with gambling companies um and and it's becoming a a bit of a problem in my eyes. I think when you, particularly with the sponsorships, I think if they weren't on the shirts and they were around the ground, it might be a bit different. Um, But it's kind of caught between two things. So you're trying to promote mental health in the game um, and and mental well-being. And then you're also advertising the fact that your club is sponsored by a a gambling company who can take advantage of uh, people who are in vulnerable positions. So it's it's a bit difficult um, for the for the clubs at the moment. You know, we've seen with certain transfers, gambling companies have, have got involved, and, and whilst we don't know all the ins and outs of that, it's it's not it doesn't look great. Um, however, good those transfers may be for the clubs, so it's quite difficult. I can definitely see how how people would find the boredom of lockdown and, and not being able to go and do as much as they can, but you know. It's a theme that's gone throughout the whole lockdown period at the moment is self-responsibility, and it's really difficult yeah. to, to to get on board with that. I don't personally think that should be the approach, um, but that seems to be the approach from everyone else um, in, involved in those decisions. It, it, it's got a long way to go, I think. I, just touching on the, on the... Obviously, we heard the news about Wigan this week. Um, and there's a lot of rumors going around there obviously they're sponsored by a by a gambling company as well and it'll be interesting to see the reaction um certainly even the football league i don't hold too much hope uh, on on there being a big reaction but it'd be interesting to see if they are a lot more scrutinized um over these sponsorships and how these things work because at the moment i think they're just kind of left to to their own devices to to find whoever they want you know 40 years ago it was a paint company um that sponsored was sponsored of, one of the biggest oh. clubs in the world and now it's and you couldn't imagine that right now i think we were sponsored by a by a, a recycling company the other year and that was quite alien to a lot of people um normally it's uh having been sponsored by our local council for a while that was alien to a lot of people as well but um yeah i could definitely see how gambling at the moment is going to come back a lot i think there needs to be a lot more just in terms of maybe take, take the adverts off but it, it's not just in football it, it's in daytime television as well um you know bingo's probably one of the biggest ones i've seen on the telly so it, it's everywhere um but there needs to be a lot more education about it as well and there needs to be a lot more safeguarding to to the people who are involved
2: and and hopefully we can get that there's a bit of a problem with the fact that like footballs aren't allowed to bet on football whilst they're a football player even if it's in a game that they've got absolutely no you know you know like a premier league player's not allowed to bet in a league two match are they or anything like that even sort of tangentially but equally their club is allowed to be sponsored by a betting company and plays in the sky bet football league i just feel like there's a really i don't know it it just feels odd the players aren't allowed to bet because they think that it's gonna there's an issue with integrity but equally, like football clubs are sponsored by betting companies, like Surely the integrity argument goes out the window as soon as your club is sponsored by a betting company, because it's, isn't it just the same thing back the other way?
1: It's a funny thing, really. So, I, I agree that footballers shouldn't be allowed to bet on anything. And I know you're not saying that. that's not that's not your stance. Um, I think it just helps not muddy the water and blur the lines well i don't think they shouldn't be allowed because it's wrong to say betting on a game that doesn't involve them i just think it stops any of these oh i didn't know they weren't the rules if you just say you yeah. can't do any yeah. i think that's why that's in place but the point you're making around they're basically saying you can't do anything to do with betting oh but by the way walk into the bet 365 stadium and wear the in the sky bet championship yeah. and have this that so that is a very Players are like
2: paid by betting companies, aren't they?
1: Exactly, and it all comes back to the whole revenues put for is ahead of integrity. It's yeah. it's as simple as that. It's a money league. It's if I mean every every league is now. It's not just the Premier League. It is ran officially on money, and winning the league is just as much about getting your 90 million quick as as it is one of the title i think after time as well so the incentive is money 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 buys better players get you better results it's even sorry i had a pure frog in my throat it's even if you look now fans will openly be delighted over the net spend yeah like, <laughs> like i think fans compare it's like oh we won this on our net spend and you can almost see why because it links back to the whole purity and Fans being from the local area and the players maybe having more than your squad from the local area and not buying the league because people always laugh that laugh at when they buy the league. But in reality, if you look at all the biggest spenders and forget how many players have sold, if you look at the biggest spenders, they tend to be the ones winning
2: all the titles. Yeah, and well, that makes that obviously would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, that's just
1: and that and that's what I'm trying to say is how do you get away from that? So if you suddenly have a betting company that goes. We're going to sponsor the league for 150 million a year for five years. In turn, your prize money is going to go up. Your TV money's going to go up. Bloody, bloody, blah. I don't know how you come away from that once once you're in it. You the it. horse,
2: the horse, has bolted. The horse exactly. is bolted. Well bolted at this point. I, um, think, I think it's just. I don't think there's any going back. Unfortunately, the cat's out the bag. The horse is bolted. Whatever, whatever expression you want to use, it's gone one thing, and, and at the end of the day all all that you can do and and, and and you know we obviously as as said before we spoke to mark and nicola palios and they're quite uh, you know passionate about their sort of stance against having a, a gambling sponsor at tram but individual clubs can do that and make their own decisions but the horse is bolted with regards to the way that the, the the financial aspect of it dictates it and 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 in a, in a lot of ways it's it's not a criticism because at the end of the day, the commercial organisations, these businesses, and 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 in a lot of ways, they they need to be profitable in order to be able to be a, you know successful, which then gives fans enjoyment to the game. But like as you say, there, Ryan, it's it, it's at the detriment to integrity. So the, you know, as we just said, there, it's just it's all about that chasing of the next bit of coin that they can get.
1: Well, one thing I want to ask you both, and it's a two-part question, is. Often, when there's change to any any structure, it's brought about because of an incident. So if we look at coronavirus now, the reason we're playing football in empty stadiums every single day of the week almost is simply because of coronavirus. Now, there's been a lot of talk around things not going back to normal. And I wonder now, if t- now, now TV companies have had the ability to show games almost daily, if they're now going to say, well, moving forward, that's what we're going to want. We're going to want a lot more of games every day. One question, Part one of the question is, do you think that's a possibility? We'll see that. And question two, as a lower league fan, looking at your own sort of work-life balance and hobbies outside of families and stuff, how, how much easier is it for you, do you think, supporting a lower league team? because you know if you need daycare or if you, you're working there, the likelihood is you're going to have a play at 7.45 on a Tuesday or 3pm on a Saturday. And if you were supporting the team that played maybe on a Monday night, a Sunday afternoon, an early kickoff on a Saturday, how much of a detriment would that be to your personal lives?
2: Um, part one, yes. We, we, we You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. The 3pm the blackout... It'd be very difficult for them to put that back in now that they've taken it away. Um and part two, yes, again, it's it's much easier being a lower league fan in terms of scheduling your life around your club. Um because you know for a like for a fact like if we say you know if we look at the fixtures and in February we're playing Newport away and you say to me Ryan should we do that Newport game in February? Well we know we're going to that Newport game in February we don't need to worry about getting the tickets. We don't need to worry about it moving for TV. We know we're playing Newport the afternoon not in February, so it's much easier to plan around. Um, so, yes, to both of your questions, mate.
0: What month will we playing Newport in, Dan? February was
2: it? Uh, yeah, I don't I mean. <laughs> I just picked them month. it. Maybe we're going down on the fourteenth for a little romantic weekend down in the in South Wales. In in. Oh, I couldn't believe South of Wales.
1: This. <laughs> what What about you then, You've You've obviously got a little one. But your missus essentially knows that every other week you're going to disappear at about the hours of two till five and come home. Yeah, in and around like five, five in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, for you, how difficult would it be to start turning around and going, Oh, no, this week it's half five on a Friday. Oh, no, this week it's actually quarter to eight on a Monday? Like,
0: Yeah, it makes it a lot harder. Um, obviously, I think it's different to individual situations. It would just mean you have to plan a bit more. Um, I don't necessarily mind playing on different days, but there has to be for me there has to be a proper reason for it. So if it is on TV, I think you can accept it. Um, but if it's on TV and you're playing, I don't know, miles and miles away. So you've often seen like Newcastle having to travel to Brighton at half twelve, um, and that's that's just ridiculous. There's no need for that. The, the, I don't know what they're adding to that that game by putting it... First of all, putting it on telly. But second of all, putting it at a time that is just ridiculous for people who live in Brighton, to be honest. Half-12, no one really wants to watch football half-12. So I think you were a bit more clear and came out and said, look, these are the reasons why. I think, personally, from my point of view, yeah, it does become difficult. Yeah. Um, you start getting a little bit stressed because, like you say, you don't want to not go. You've paid your money for your season ticket and, uh, and you know, these games are, could be massive, massive games, you know. Um, so it comes a little bit harder. Uh, I think... I think I'd like them to, to go back to the traditional, like, Saturday, Sunday, three o'clock here, three o'clock there. Um, but I haven't minded, you know, Friday nights and, and Monday nights, I think they're OK um but again at the top level it becomes a lot more difficult with the european games um you know if someone plays on a monday night and that's particularly around christmas i can probably see the christmas schedule at the top level going mm. um and i think it's something we'll come on to in this in the second part uh, where we're talking about player exhaustion but i think i could see that going um not, not all the way through the league but it's definitely definitely up for discussion. Um, certainly maybe maybe take one game away out of that Christmas period. Um, however disappointing that would be, because there's nothing better than not knowing what day it is and and going to the football and seeing your mates around Christmas time. Um but yeah, uh, to answer your question, I think it it, it, it probably well, make it ten times harder. Um just because you've got to balance everything else, you've got work, you've got You've got your home life and, and you've got the fact that you've got to try and get to the game as well, which isn't always easy. Um, and then you've got to find time to enjoy it. You've got to be in a comfortable place to enjoy football as well sometimes, like we've been talking about. If you're exhausted, if you're tired, you're not going to enjoy whatever you're watching, uh, unless it's going to make you laugh, uh, in my experience.
1: Hi, my name is Bobby Madley. Welcome to Man Marking. And we're asking, where's the talking, lads? My name is David Squires. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? My name is Simon Howarth. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads?
0: Welcome back to Not For Me, Clive. Still got Danny and Ryan with me. We've just had a little uh, halftime break, a few oranges. Um, and we've got a few more few more topics to discuss. Looking at the playing side of the game now, we're looking at the, the schedules for players. We haven't talked about them. We know how hard it is for fans to watch every single game, even when it's Burnley versus Watford. Um, so how hard is it for players? I'm sure they get themselves up for Burnley versus Watford, but... Um, Hectic schedules, you know, playing pretty much year after year after year. And it's not a six-week break anymore in the middle. It's, it's all the way
2: through the summer. Yeah. Um, so, when I was doing a little bit of reading ahead of this episode, um, we spoke about Fief Pro, didn't we, in one of our episodes, about the report they did surrounding mental health for footballers during the lockdown period. There was another report that they did, which was called At The Limit which was kind of assessing the amount of football that they play. And I was watching a video by... Um, have either of you ever watched Tifo Football, those videos, on YouTube? No, I'm
1: familiar, but I'm not sure.
2: I can't so say I've watched it. There's a YouTube channel called Tifo Football. It's very good. They do like little explainer videos for different things. And one of them was about this FIFA, FIFA Pro report. And it was basically entitled, Would Less Football Improve Football? And that report was kind of talking about how there are lots of players that play like around 80 games a year and have less than five days rest between them. And I think one of the big things that was, that I took away from it, particularly with relation to players' mental health is that because nowadays, so you look back at like games, people will probably point to it, but there are players from like the seventies and stuff like that who played just as many games. But the difference nowadays is the intensity of the matches so the ball is in play a lot more the game is less broken up the players are a lot fitter it's a lot faster all that sort of stuff so there is only a certain limit that you can push the human body to. so the games are more fatigue inducing now and the players are a lot more tired afterwards and it's not just about being physically tired it's psychologically tired as well the other thing as well is which 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 kind of relates to that, which all sort of feeds into it. And you said the there, about there isn't a six week break anymore. One of the things I think psychologically that must be really difficult for players, and they talked about it in that in that Tipo football video, was that there isn't any gap between seasons anymore for players. They just kind of blend into one. There's no like rest period in terms of being able to just switch off. It's almost like the end of that season finishes and the next one starts, be it playoffs, be it preseason tours, be it an international tournament, they all just meld into one. So it's just constantly all around the clock. There's no gap. And, you know, we saw it quite a bit with um, Alexi Sanchez, didn't we? There's a lot of talk about how many Copper Americas he was playing and stuff like that for, for Chile. He was on something like 140 caps by the time he was, like, 30 or something, which is just bananas. Um, and with that as well, obviously, comes travelling. So players are travelling all over the place, not just in-country and intercontinental, but with those sort of players that are travelling to like South America or to Asia for international games, they're crossing time zones a lot. And with that, obviously, comes the obvious sort of you're tired and you're knackered because getting on the plane's is rubbish. But there's also, like, it affects your sleep massively. And it goes back to the thing I was saying before about being on your phone all the time. The, the the impact that poor sleep and interrupted sleep has on your mental and physical health is enormous. And there's quite good evidence to suggest that players who have less sleep have shorter careers as well. So there's that kind of physical burnout that you'd kind of assume would happen just because someone's playing sports all the time. But the burnout generally, which affects players much more, is the psychological burnout. And that's where you see players who sort of peter off towards the end of their career because mentally they just must be absolutely exhausted and we know from the conversations that we've had that it must be then very difficult for them to say that they're tired because we we i can't remember out where we mentioned that we talked about raheem sterling that time that he said that he was knackered and he just got pure stick about it and you think no wonder he was exhausted he was like 21 and played like 60 70 games in a year and like on your mental state, that must just be really, really tiring. I mean, everyone knows what it's like to come back from a really long, hard day at work or get to the end of the week and be exhausted. And that's just it, constantly on a loop, all day, every day, or every week, all year for footballers. And, yeah, that exhaustion just must be, well, exhausting, to say the least.
0: Well, it's funny you should you should talk about how many games, um, how many games these footballers play at the moment, because... Harry Kane kind of came to prominence early part of 2010, 11, 11, 12. And he scored 137 goals, I think, in 200 games for Tottenham. Now, that is a phenomenal amount of games for a start. And obviously, it's a phenomenal amount of goals. But I've never seen him not playing football during the year.
2: Unless he's injured.
0: Yeah, unless, it, yeah. And that's literally. What it is, unless he's injured, and there's talk about you know him breaking Shira's records. Obviously, he's got a long way to go, and we, we can kind of appreciate how long Shearer played for. So, like you said, it's not like anyone uh, hasn't played this amount of games, but it seems to be the, the like constantness of, of the games. Um, Ryan, what do you think about the, the player exhaustion at the moment? Obviously, it's usually used as a, a stick to beat people with, really, to be honest. Oh, you can't be tired.
2: You kick a bag of wind
0: around every week, you know. You, you pay the hundred
2: grand a week, how can yeah, you be tired?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, Let's give your wages to someone else then, you know, those type of arguments. I think they're they're changing, you know, the, the way we're, we're viewing these players. And and I think that, that could be due to the you know, the more uh more cultured managers coming into the Premier League and more, more, more understanding mainly of fitness and, and mental health in itself.
1: Yeah, to be honest, a few points there that I wanted to raise from uh, what both of you have said. Just touching on Kane, his first full season, as in 30-plus games, was the 14-15 season, which shows you how much football he's played. He played 101 games in two years at, at, at Spurs, 14-15. And uh, that's also with eight caps for England as well. So you're like 110 games in from... Two thousand eight mid 2013 to about to the end of 2015, 18 months. So it's incredible you know, amount
2: of just football. On, just on that Ryan as well. Um, on that Tifo video, just because it's Tottenham, the player they use an example is um Son. He played like 78 games in about 12 months, one year.
1: Yeah, and and he he's also recently played that done that with military service as well yeah <laughs> which is <laughs> another cultural aspect of how tired players could be to to other commitments whether it's something like national service or brands like a lot of these players are actually flown out to do adverts for tv and stuff like that things you don't actually see traveling to the bar on the door traveling to to different uh, sporting events and exhibitions that goes on outside they committed to the sponsors but um What Danny touched on here, one thing I want to sort of play devil's advocate on is why there is more football now. And although Danny did sort of say, not that there wasn't as much football per se in the 70s, but the intensity wasn't as much. I suppose the sports science and the recovery now is better than it's ever been. So from that point of view, I'd probably rather be a tired player now than in the 70s, when you probably didn't have much to fall back on, very much stiff upper lip, wouldn't complain. You know what on
2: that though, right, which which comes back to the mental exhaustion is the players are now expected to take on a lot more information as well. The detail that goes into how a player prepares for a game is so much more intrinsic now than it was along you know 20 30 years ago. So mm-hmm. there's also that as well isn't it on their, on their 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 mental exhaustion that they have to remember all those things and and and, and plan and the precision and all that stuff.
1: There is, and I was actually going to do one of them weird things where I played as an advocate and then play it with myself. What What I was also going to come to was what I find quite interesting is we always talk about the drinking culture from the 60s, 70s, 80s in England. And I wonder, was that positive? Was that nice that games finished and you could have been maybe tired, but you had the group to go and have a pint with? And actually, do you know what? While it may not have been the best thing in terms of your physical recovery... For your mental well-being, that bond and that not going on social media, not having to respond to tweets from thousands of fans calling you shit, not having to do this and that, was actually, in hindsight, a massive positive. Because a lot of these teams back then, as well, if you look at the seventies, they only had one sub or two subs, yeah, and, and stuff like that. So the, the minutes per game was huge on on a rubbish pitch. If you heard soonest talking the other day about wanting to mark Jack Grealish, getting absolutely nailed and tackles by all accounts, um, so I wonder if football's lost that team element. I'm not saying that there aren't great teams. You only have to look at Liverpool to see how much of a great team they are. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that I get what ability, you're driving, yeah, I get the ability you're to rely on your teammates has disappeared. It's it's just become a, f- a professional function, almost like you have a HR team. No, what I think an interesting aspect of that,
2: right, is like that thing of, which is such a good point that you made, is that like for us, say if we play for a, a Saturday or a Sunday team, we might be able to play a match and then all go to the pub for a few hours and watch the, you know, the, the five o'clock game afterwards and have a couple of pints and then go home. And it kind of like if you lose the game, you get that. Oh, never mind. We lost. I, to, you know, have a few pints in and I'll see you next Sunday. And like, obviously, you can't do that at a professional level. And if you want the sport to be elite, you, you can't really you can't do that. But there is obvious the there is an element of it that the more the more serious you make it, the bigger the consequences feel like, which increases the pressure, which makes the mental toll on players much harder, which obviously plays into mental exhaustion. So if you if you know if you're a, a player and you lost. You lost a big game, you know, 2-0 at home or whatever it is. And like you say there, you go home, you've got to go and do your recovery. You can't go out for a pint. You're sitting on Twitter and you're reading the comments. Or, you know, know, if it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you go back to the the club bar with the rest of the team and you'd have a few drinks and you, you don't really know what the reaction is until Monday morning when you read the paper and you've had 24, 48 hours to process it.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I, I, I do think there's probably an element of that that that's been lost now. Also, on the what what was the point you made, Ant? Just remind me what you said because I had sort of something I wanted to follow on up on that. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, if like you think of
2: it, devil's advocate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was Ant saying? Was it, Oh yeah, the other thing I wanted to say around the travel was that at a at a point in time when we know players are doing more travelling and playing more games than ever, that they put these random friendlies on. Like, yeah. they'll go to Abu Dhabi and play a friendly in the middle of the season. And it, again, it all stems down to money. And you kind of think, if your product is the football and the players, if your assets are the players' ability and how well they play and how Commercial, how commercially viable it is to sell around the world. Then, why are you running them into the ground? Because, as you say, do you want quantity or do you want quality? In a perfect world, you want both. But in reality, as you said, Alexis Sanchez was one of the best players in the world for for that three, four year period. First year at Arsenal, when he scored 30 goals, unplayable. And then, all of a sudden, he looked lost and he was just burnt out, as you said. Copper America's. 60-plus games for Arsenal, taking a lot of tackles. And you kind of like, does he need to go to the Middle East and play a friendly against Barcelona randomly halfway through the season? No, but it's driven by greed. So I don't want to carp on about money too much, but I, I do think now there's a lot more pointless games than you'll ever see. To the point where pre-season friendlies are no longer friendlies, the Cups, the trophies, the Audi yeah. trophy in the States or wherever it is. And it's kind of like every game has a feel about it. A pre-season friendly is essentially to tune up, to get fit and get used to kicking a ball again after having what was historically a six-eight week break. Now, as you're saying, it's a one-two week break. And when these friendlies are finished his draws, there's a penalty shootout, and then Sky Sports, <laughs> Sky Sports, then show you the missing penalties. Raheem Sterling terrible start to pre-season as he misses penalty in in Audi Cup, and you're like, is this a pre-season friendly or is this a glorified trophy that you're adding a for? Pre- you're adding that competitive element to it. Now someone listen may say, well, what's better to prepare prepare for a competitive season than a competitive game of football? But I kind of feel that misses the point. If you look at any other athletics or any other sports, they they are tuned up in a way that gears them up for the competition, both mentally and physically. And now footballers are just jumping from one competition to another. And 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 as you say, I mean, if you look at Liverpool now. Jaden Klopp would be well within his right to play his youth team, but they want they want records. He could, but you're kind of looking at that going, Would he got a World Cup next year? Was it sorry, Euros next year, World Cup after? Got they've won the league. Does Salah and Mane need to play six games now, or should you just send them on holiday and just let them recover? Just, yeah,
2: just let them switch off. They don't, you don't have to just stop making them have to think about it, All exactly. So, I don't you know, think. I do think
1: the players' careers will become bigger and shorter. I think the years of seeing play. I mean, Ronaldo... They'll peak earlier,
2: won't they peak earlier and finish finish earlier?
1: They will. There's there's obviously exceptions to the rule. um, But I don't think football's too bothered about churning players out and burning them out as long as there's the next one coming through.
2: Well, that's it. They know there's a production line of people coming through. I mean, Ant, you obviously directed me to The Edge. Which is ob- which is about the England cricket team, which touches on this topic really, really well, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's mainly in the form of Kevin Peterson. Yes. Because uh, at the time he's probably the most, well, he's probably the best cricketer in England side, most entertaining, the one who puts uh, bums on seats, and he had a lot of interest in the in from India for the IPL, the T Twenty leagues there, and T Twenty leagues around the world. But also at the same time, he was England's best one-day international player. So the shorter format of the game, which is a lot more lucrative. Um, and, and England won the World Cup last year. So it, um, it was kind of an interesting one. It, because he was so good, he was being asked to play all these games, but he's still being asked to play Test cricket, which is five days. It's really difficult. On the mind, it's really difficult. And basically he said, look, you've got to give me some time. And it kind of spiralled out into a, a much wider argument and eventually um it came to pass that they were starting to be given those that bit of time at the start of the season in particular because the the t20 leagues um in india were like march april time so that was traditionally the beginning of the english season um so it was really difficult for, for them at the time. And then when it came to the 2015 World Cup, I think England got knocked out of Bangladesh. It was a defeat that shouldn't have happened, even though Bangladesh is pretty good. And um, But it was it was seen as something that shouldn't have happened. And then you saw a, a bit of a change. There was squad rotation when there hadn't been squad rotation before. Because cricket's seen as this game where you have to be in a rhythm. And if you're good, you're good. You're, you're on a hot streak, you're on a hot streak. I, I don't really buy into that. But the the change from let's keep this as a rhythm went away and there was, there was squad rotation and, and players became fresher and better and there was squads for specific games. So you've got, you got a and a T20 squad, you've got a one-day international squad, which is 50 overs, and then you've got your test squad. And there wasn't as much overlap. But Peterson kind of set the way and there was a couple of others in there as well because of the, the stature and because they were so marketable to begin with. They they kind of set the, the, the standards at that point. And it's something that he goes into in, in the in the documentary. And he said, you know, it basically became really difficult for me to to concentrate playing cricket.
2: Mm. I couldn't
0: play it to the best of my ability. And it, it's happened time and time again. I, I don't know how that would work in football. Um, because, you know, as much as they play, there is kind of usually a break. I wonder how it how it will be affected in this kind of period now, when they're playing like yeah. it's every six, four, four, de- four to six days or something like that, isn't it? So yeah, and um, probably even more if you're in the cups. Um, but yeah, basically, it, it came to the point where where England and, and the ECB were basically like, right, well, we can't we, we can't keep treating our players this way. They can't keep getting flogged. And, and years and years ago, uh, before central contracts came in for the England squad, they had um they were basically playing county games, which are four-day games, and then joining up with England, probably having a day's rest, and then going to play a a test match for England at the highest level. And for most of the 1990s, people were going, why are we not very good? Well, because all your players are knackered. (laughs) It was was Mm. one of the main reasons. They were all very, very tired. So now there's this this, um, kind of gap. You know, if you're called up to the England squad, you're with the England squad, and you're not released until you are needed back at your county, or you're not playing for England. So it was... um, it's a way of looking after them, and it rugby has a similar thing um, a similar issue, you know, a club versus country issue, um, which has been quite uh difficult for them over the years. And it's something that, um, has happened with, with international football, uh, you know, for England. And it was one of the, the main arguments from Sir Alex Ferguson and, and even wider. Why the managers like Arsene Wenger and, and you know the big historic managers weren't very happy with it. Notoriously, Ryan Giggs doesn't really, never really play
2: friendlies. Um, do you so- know what? Is, do you know what is well answered on that? Which which and, and going with the with the with the edge with that film. I think one of the things that it demonstrated, and and we kind of touched on it before with with Raheem Sterling, is that the more that these that these footballers become more marketable so their audience is bigger so they make more money they get paid more it makes it increasingly more difficult for them to say i don't want to do this because the demand on them is so much higher so you can ju- you can see how a footballer at the very top level it is impossible for them to say i don't want to play i can't play i can't do that i'm ju- i'm too tired i'm exhausted i need a rest it's not impossible for them to do that. And when they do, they get told, well, you get paid this much, you should be able to play. Oh, you're not strong enough. Oh, he's weak-minded. He's never going to make it to the top. And, and and I just think, how are they ever meant to be able to put their hand up and say, I'm really struggling with this. I'm absolutely exhausted, which is causing me to feel not to, not to be able to sleep properly, which causing me concentration issues. It's causing me to have... Anxiety, which can then lead into depression, and, you, and and as we've seen before, if players' careers are being shortened because they're exhausted, which means their retirement is sooner and earlier, then that's going to cause repercussions down the line as well as we've seen with some of the issues the players encounter when they finish the career. So I, do, I, I again the horse has bolted. I don't know how you go back from it. I don't think it's very healthy, but I think um, Rooney used the term
0: guinea pigs, and it was really in was relation it, yeah. to to um. To being the, the ones who would be on the pitch before lockdown and I think the I think there's probably some elements of truth in that but it was interesting he actually came out and said and said as much I think one of the, the famous ones for, for burnout was Michael Owen. Um, I think he said he was gone when he was about twenty odd, I think.
2: Yeah. Um like twenty five or something he said, didn't he? Yeah. Maybe he was just like a bum.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know and for his his game it was all about pace but I think he played since he was what 16, 17 so at a really high level but I think there is this um, I, I think there is kind of a uh, a move towards protecting the younger players uh, if anything that might be the, the silver lining of them staying in under 23 football for a little bit longer I know Ryan doesn't really like that but
1: and, um, I mean it, to be honest it, it's quite hard to get a balance it's either Young players aren't trusted enough or they're played too much. It it is hard. It's not... I think when we discuss this, we're sort of looking at what's good and what's bad about it. But when you actually sit down and say, what can be done about it? It's extremely difficult.
2: Oh, I think it's hard. you just got to make sure you don't... the, the topics can't be discussed in isolation because they're all. That's that,
1: that, that's exactly it, isn't it? Sorry, I'm
0: uh, what was going to say. i I was just going to say I'd say the main thing for for the younger players, and I think it it needs to. I think this is probably the the big issue for them. There needs to be a more enjoyable atmosphere for them. You, you know, we've mentioned social media before. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that Delhi Ali's passed it. and I think he's about twenty three. So there needs to be there needs to be a, to be a, a, a certainly a, a more appreciation from the fans, and there needs to be a better atmosphere for them coming through, which I think is starting to happen with certain protections and not going out and getting flogged in the lower leagues all the time, which isn't good for some reasons, but is for others. Um, you know, we look at Phil Foden; he's been kind of held back and held back, and that's perfectly fine because if he goes and plays ten years pretty much consistently. He's going to do a lot of good things. So I think the overall atmosphere of, of football needs to continue that way. And us as fans, and, and certainly the ones on social media, which would probably be a harder thing to to shift, is we need to start appreciating the fact that, hang on, this this fella's 23. You know, he's, he's going to be a good player. And it, it's particularly one for goalkeepers as well. You know, Jordan Pickford's one of the top goalkeepers in the country, whether you like it or not. Um, there's various different insults that are thrown around him. I think their new sponsor hasn't helped him. I think <laughs> if, uh, if anyone's seen that meme, um, yeah. but you know, it wasn't so long ago that we were going, Oh, hang on, Brad Friedel's pretty good. How old is he? Oh, 38. Oh, that's because he matures as a person, as a keeper. You know, you you get better as you get older, and you know, you
2: look, Brad Friedel was 38 for his whole career. Um, wow.
1: the thing is, is, as well, right on, on that. that. If you, people like people forget he, he's put. I think he just surpassed recently three hundred games. Jordan Pickford, and I mean that—that's three hundred games at a World Cup semi-final, but also playing for Alfreton Town on loan in two thousand thirteen.
2: Overall, the conclusion that we would come to is that there is too much football. It then wraps you up in this big bubble that makes you kind of amplify how important football actually is, which then adjusts people's behaviour towards one another within football both to fans and to players as well and ultimately we could probably all just do with taking a step back having a bit of perspective and possibly just being nicer to one another and being nicer about the
0: environment uh our lovely listeners have got in touch and uh, i've got some quite funny questions for our for our two lovely uh lovely gentlemen in the virtual studio um <laughs> first one Give us your best five-a-side team of current players, but you can't use Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo.
2: Are we doing um, who we think would be the best five side team or players that we like or what 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 parameters are you giving us here on? I would say
0: players that you just players that you like, mate. you you pick whoever you
2: want. Okay. Well, this is fun. So in bins, who am I gonna go in bins? Is Paddy Kenny still it- playing? <laughs> Nobody can, he can do I assume he's probably playing some five side right now. Like, I'll have Paddy Kenny. Just My the, team's gonna
1: smoke Danny's already,
2: gonna, <laughs> uh, yeah. But mine will be great in the pub after the match. <laughs> I'm, have, I'm, have, I'm have Paddy Kenny, he's in there. Ledley King, Ledley King's glorious. Um, alongside Ledley King, I'm gonna have Micah Richards for two reasons. One, because can you imagine trying to get past him on a five-a-side pitch? Not happening. Man's an absolute specimen. But also, he's been tremendous on the punditry recently. He looks like he's having a great time, and I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to put Micah in there. Micah Grove. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's that's three. It's quite a defensive team, this. Uh, the other two positions. Well, I'm going to go for... Who am I going to go for? I'm going to go for Rooney got. I love rooney um he looks great with that new beard he's got going on as well looks better than mike dean's beard anyway so my rooney in there and then up top i'm gonna go for dimitar berbatov uh a, a man who probably is the only footballer i've ever seen who runs less than i do on a football pitch so i'm gonna go, <laughs> go Berbatov. or can i put myself in there can i go up front you can come on as a sub i'll come on a sub i'll accept that i'll go on yeah. the bench with Craig Bellamy.
0: <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I know who's coming on first in that in that instance. Ryan, what's your side?
1: Um, for fear of the listeners wanting an actual proper response, I'm gonna go proper. Um, so I'm gonna go odd black in goal, just because he's just immense. I'm gonna go Ramos in defence just because he's so moody. Could you imagine him smashing you against the side of the fiver side? No, no. You just like event. make you won the board, there was no need to do that, and he's just not there. <laughs> like proper cold December day, it's all icy on the astro and he's just nailed you into the wall. and he pays five, fiver? I don't
0: think he
2: would No, it's one of them, I'll give you it next week and then drives yes. off to the course. And he'd also have all the gear, he'd have like all matching new Adidas gear and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be horrible him. Yeah,
1: and then um, I'm going to go De Bruyne and Busquets in front of him because just try get the ball off them too. Just one of them where you bring your mate along and he's like, are these any good? They're like, all right, we're not both, give them a game. And then he's just chasing shadows. And then Lewandowski up front because he's just going to roll you all day, is he? you just like play into his feet, you're gone, you're finished. So, yeah, I think I'd bag Lewandowski to put a few past Paddy Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Ramos has got Reedy in his pocket. I think Micka Richard's knees and Ledley King's knees falling off at this point <laughs> chasing De Bruyne. I don't even think they've got a knee between them. That <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's my side. All black. Ramos, De Bruyne, Busquets,
2: Lewandowski. That's a pretty, pretty strong like, side. Um, I feel like Ryan and I were given different instructions.
1: <laughs> and by the way, I'm proper gaffing this team on the sidelines, giving it, giving it beans when the twenty nine nil up against Reedy side after ten minutes, demanding more from them.
2: Yeah, but 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 my 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 team is uh, we've got a great WhatsApp group. I tell you <laughs> your
0: filthy exchanges on there. Uh, given that he's really upset, Sean.
2: How long should Larice's band be? <laughs> um well I think given that Paddy Kenny is now back in football, <laughs> Tottenham have got only one option, which is to cancel Larissa's contract and bring in Paddy Kenny. Um I, what even happened? I don't know what happened. I saw them scrapping. Why would he I what saw would
1: the he... tweet that suggested that Larice said to him you were only in the TA? <laughs> 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 that note was very funny, <laughs> um, but I'm not entirely sure. But apparently, Mourinho described it as beautiful.
0: Um, of course, he was. He he would, he would.
1: Yeah, it took me back to.
0: Did you ever see? I think it was McManaman and Grobola fighting back in the nineties. That was a proper fight as well. It was uh, That is the most
2: nineties fix- reference I've ever heard.
0: If I like bow fisty- and Dyer <laughs> oh yeah, few cuffs in there. You the bow you one. Ooh. And unfortunately, this week, uh, we saw our own favourite moody Scottish fella, Mickey Mellon, move back up to uh, back up to Scotland. I'm I'm saying this through tears. We had a questioning from from Aaron Connolly, who who obviously lives up there and and is actually our new sponsor as well. We've teamed up with his 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 charity, Time to Tackle, which you can find some information on about uh, on our Twitter. Uh, but he cheekily asked, what can we expect from Mickey Mellon at Dundee United? And I got sad again and didn't want to answer him. Um, uh, no,
2: we're not talking about this. Move on to the next question. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Ryan, anything soon, to add on Far
2: that? too soon.
1: Um, I said, I think I actually responded to the tweet and said, we're going to see a top two become a top three. That's how good Mickey Mellon is. I'm staying with it. Um, I'm gutted to see him go. I hate Dundee United with a passion now. Uh, yeah. for taking him, never gonna forgive them. But onwards and upwards. We've had, we've had some good times. Um, and do you know what? In, in in the all seriousness, it's nice that although we, we didn't want him to leave, he's had he's left almost on his terms and and in a positive way. It seems odd saying that we got demoted and then he's left us. But at least it wasn't. He was kicked out after a dire run, and not many management. Careers end nicely, do these, So I think on that note, I mean we're gonna have fond memories of him and you never know, might see him back one day.
0: Yeah, here's open. Um so that's all we got time for this week. Uh, Danny and Ryan are gonna tell you where you can find our social media.
2: Yes. So find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. Lots of fun things going on over there. We've also got a YouTube channel where there's some clips going on on there as well and yeah just come over get involved i keep asking people to slide into our dms just do it just slide in there give us a little message um but yeah you can find us on there find us on the podcast as a uh, cast google podcast apple podcast although i suspect you probably already know that given that you're listening to me me say this but yeah there you go (laughs) ryan what's our next episode mate
1: our next episode is with Gary Suter. That comes out Monday morning. Um, Gary is a mental health nurse, also doing a PhD. Very interesting. He's a Doncaster fan as well. Uh, if we've got any fans of Doncaster Rovers. So yeah, excellent episode with Gary. Looking forward to releasing it.
0: And that's all we've got time for. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Enjoy yourself. These
1: next
2: five minutes will feel like 55 minutes. Football on an eye pitch Can Tramney hold out? To win a
0: playoff game, a final is fantastic at any time. But to have the odds so heavily stacked against us from like, the first, the first minute, and then lose a goal in the 71st minute of the first half, <laughs> and then come back again and show the character that they had—it's no easy task to come to Wembley anyway. But to, to believe and keep believing and get a result like that's terrific.